With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about Mitzia Daf Yud Beis, page twelve. We begin four lines in Gufa. We stated previously, Ra Oisin Ratzin Achar Hametzia Vechulei. We said the case in the Mishnah where you have people who are running after a lost object, and then someone sees them running after it, and it's entering into his field. So about this, Rabbi Yirmiyah said in the name of Rabbi Yechanan, Magion. In order for his field to acquire for him, he has to run after them and stand next to his field. But Rabbi Yirmiyah, so Rabbi Yirmiyah had asked, Bimatana Hayach. This case that we're talking about is a case where it's a lost object that's ownerless. What's going to be in regards to something which is owned? It's being given over to another person. Does he have to be next to his field? Keep them in Rabbi Abba Barkahana. So Rabbi Abba Barkahana, as we said previously, accepted the difference between a case where something is ownerless and it's trying to be acquired there, a person needs to be next to his field, as opposed to a case where it's a matana, where it's being given over by someone to the person who's trying to acquire it. So there, it could be that it's different. And he said as follows, Indeed, he would be able to acquire it, even if he's running after them and he doesn't reach up to them. So even though he's not standing next to his field, since it's being given over to him by someone else, it's not necessary for him to actually be standing next to his field. His field will acquire it for him. Boy, Rav, so now Rav asks a question. Let's say a person wants to make his wallet ownerless, and he throws it through a door, and it goes through the air, and it ends up going through another door on the other side of the courtyard, and ends up in another person's property. So it flew through the air of one person's property, ended up in another person's property. So in such a case, what's going to be the halacha? Do we say that when it flies through the airspace of someone's field, of someone's courtyard, and it's not going to land in that courtyard, it's considered as if when it was passing through the airspace, it's like it's in that area? Or do we say no? Since it wasn't going to land there, therefore it's not considered it was in that airspace, and therefore that chatzar, that courtyard does not have the ability to acquire for him. So Rapapa answers to Rava. Those who say it was Rava, who answered, those who say it was Ravina who answered, Isn't this our Mishnah? Where someone saw other people running after a lost object. Like we said, that in order for him to acquire, for his field to acquire for him, so he has to run after them and reach up to them. And again, as we said, asked in regards to a matana, where it's being given over by one person to another. What's going to be the halacha? And Rabbi Barakana accepted the fact that there's a difference between where it's a lost object, it's an ownerless object, and where it's a matana, it's a gift, being given over from one person to another. That over there, he doesn't even have to be standing next to his field. So what do we see over there? We see that the fact that it's going through the field, even though it's not going to end up staying in that field theoretically, right? because we said it's talking about also a case of a deer that has a broken leg, but it still can walk somewhat, so it's being chased after. So it's going to go through this field, it's not going to stay in that field, and despite that, someone can acquire that object. So it should answer our question. So he responded and said, it's not a good proof. You're talking about a case where it's rolling through the field. When it's on the ground, that it's rolling around on the ground, so then it's considered that it's sitting on that ground, it's Consider that it's inside of the chatzar and it can acquire for him. However, in our case, so it's just flying through the airspace. So it could be it's a completely different halacha, different law. So we have no proof from that case. We begin the next Mishnah. Let's say a person has a son or a daughter who are minors, and they find a lost object. Or let's say his slave or his maidservant who are non-Jews, they find an object. Or his wife finds an object. All these cases, so it goes to that person, to the man. And Rashi explains in each of these cases, what's the reason? So in regards to a child who's a minor, so a son, the Gemara is going to explain why. But in regards to a daughter, so the Gemara in brings down that it's learned out from a special Pasuk, from 
from a verse. In regards to the person's slave, so since he owns the slave, so whatever they acquire goes to the master. And as far as a person's wife, so Rashi explains that from the Torah, really she acquires it. However, the sages instituted that her husband should get it, so that there not be any eva, any marital discord as a result of this found object. Mitzias binay ubita hegdolim. If let's say he has a son or a daughter who are already adults and they find something, mitzias avle b'shukazay avrim. Or let's say one of his slaves or his maidservants who are Jewish find an object, mitzias ishtay shegirsha. Or if let's say his wife who is already divorced finds something, avle b'shalinosam ksuva. Even though he hasn't given her the money from her ksuva, so there still is some connection. Nevertheless, in all these cases, the object that was found will belong to the person who found it. And Rashi points out that in the case of an eved ivri, where he finds a lost object. We're going to need to explain the understanding of that because we said previously that a poel, a worker, if he's working for a balabayas, he's hired for the day, so whatever he finds goes to the person who hired him. So we have to understand why in regards to an avid ivri, a slave, a Jewish slave, why this object that he found should not go to his owner. We begin the Gemara. Amr Shmuel, Shmuel says, Why do they say that the object that's found by a minor will go to his father? Because as soon as a kid finds something, he runs to his father, but he doesn't keep it in his own hands. So therefore the child never intends to acquire it, and therefore it goes to his father. Now the Gemara says, Is that to say that Shmuel holds cotton less like Zechiel and Nafshemid Oraisa? That a child does not have the ability to acquire something for himself, even from the Torah? And the Ritva explains this question, that it's clear from Shmuel's statement that since the kid runs straight to his father, so therefore it's acquired to his father. That implies that from the Torah he doesn't acquire it either, because if he acquired it from the Torah, so the sages, because of this, wouldn't have taken it away from him just because he runs to his father. If the kid acquired it, he acquired it. So the indication is that from the Torah he doesn't have an acquisition. Tiny, we have a bright that seems to imply not that way. If somebody hires a worker to work in his field, so the halacha is that such a worker is considered poor, and therefore the son of that worker is allowed to follow after him as he's taking in the crops of the owner of the field, and anything that's left behind, so it's given over to poor people. So since the son of this worker is considered poor, and he's acquiring for his father, that's fine. But if the person who's working is getting paid half, he's going to take half of whatever he collects, or a third or a quarter, so he's not considered poor. So then the son, since his father's not considered poor, and whatever he collects is going to go to his father, so therefore he's not allowed to collect after him, he's not allowed to take the things that are left over that are going to go to poor people, because his father's considered rich. Rabbi Yaisi says, In either event, whether the father is considered rich because he's getting a percentage of the crops that he's collecting or not, in either event, the son or the wife can actually follow after him and collect the stuff. The Amr Shmuel, Shmuel says, Rabbi The halach is like Rabbi Yaisi, and therefore, we see that the son does not acquire for the father. Now, If we say that, in fact, a child has the ability to acquire for himself, so then we understand why he has the right to collect, because he's collecting for himself. And then when the father gets it subsequently, he's getting it from the kid who is poor. He's considered a separate entity from his father. So that child who's poor can collect it for himself. And then when he brings it to his father, even though the father's rich, couldn't have collected it for himself, nevertheless, he can acquire from his son. But if we're going to say that a child does not have the ability to acquire something for himself, so when he's collecting, he's collecting as an extension of his father. The father is rich. How could it be that the child and the wife of this person who's rich is going to collect stuff that goes to the poor and give it to someone who's rich? It's like the opposite of Robin Hood. So Gemara says, The Gemara answers that Shmuel really holds like Rabbi 
Yaisi, who says that a child does indeed have the ability to acquire something for himself. However, in explaining the Mishnah, he's not saying that he holds like the Mishnah, he's just explaining the Mishnah. And the Mishnah holds that, in fact, the child is not able to acquire something for himself. It goes straight to the father. And Shmuel is just explaining the Mishnah that holds that way, and he himself holds like Rabbi Yaisi, who says that a child does indeed have the ability to acquire something. Now the Gemara challenges, but Savar Rabbi Yossi, is it true that Rabbi Yossi holds cotton Esle Zechimi Doraisa, that a minor has the ability to acquire something from the Torah? Vahatna, we have a Mishnah that says as follows. Mitzias Cherishite of a cotton, if let's say you have a deaf mute, an insane person, or a minor, and they find a lost object, they try to acquire something from ownerlessness, Yeshba Mishum Gezam of Nedarki Shalom. So there's a concept that you can't take it away from them, because from the sages they said that we don't want to have problems of peace, we want to keep the peace, so therefore they said that they have acquired it and if you take it away from them, it's considered that you've stolen. Rabbi Yesi, Rabbi Yesi says, Gesel Gomer, that it's considered absolutely stealing. Rabbi Chizda says, Gesel Gomer Medivrayim, that what it means is that it's considered from the sages that it's considered stealing. Nafkamina, the difference between Rabbi Yesi and the Tanakhama will be, whether or not you have the ability, if someone takes it away from a minor, etc., if someone takes that thing away, whether or not the minor will have the ability to go to the courts and take it back. So according to Rabbi Yesi, it's Gesel Gomer, it's completely Gezel, even though it's only from the Torah, but still, the sages instituted that it's considered completely the minors, and therefore, they're going to be able to get it back if they go to court. According to the Tanakama, they won't be able to get it back. In any event, we see that Rabbi Yesi holds that from the Torah, a child, a minor, does not have the ability to acquire something from the Torah. So now let's go back to the case before. The case where this guy is working for someone else. He's collecting stuff in the fields. And his son is following after him. And he's collecting. And the reason Rabbi Yesi said that that's okay is because the son acquires for himself. He doesn't acquire for himself from the Torah. It's only from the sages. Therefore, from the Torah, what's happening? What's happening is that the child is actually stealing on behalf of his father from the poor people. So it can't be the right understanding of that Mishnah. So Abai explains as follows. The reason in that case that it's permitted for the son to follow after his father is for a different reason. Rashi explains this, that it used to be so. What happened was that when people were going through there, the poor people, there would be groups of poor people, they would have shifts. And eventually, so when the last shift, the oldest people, the oldest poor people would pass through there, so no one else would come there. And therefore, if anybody, even someone who wasn't poor, wanted to walk through there and take something that's still left on the floor, it would be their right. Because everyone else all the poor people have given up hope on it already since the last stragglers of poor people have already gone through there. So over here we say it's as if that's exactly what's happened over here. Because the poor people themselves have given up hope. They've said, we don't expect to get anything here, and therefore anyone can come along and take it. Savri, the reason they give up hope is because they think as follows. They know that this guy, he's got some poor kids, and they're going to be following after him and collecting from it. So therefore, they don't think that they're going to ever get anything there. Therefore, the son actually has a right to go and take it. It's not considered stealing from poor people, since the poor people have given up hope of getting that stuff. Would it be permitted for somebody to take a line, place it inside of his field, in order that the poor people be scared and run away and not want to come there and give up hope of getting that stuff so he can take it himself? Heaven forbid, it can't be. And that's exactly what you're saying. You're saying that the father is allowed to let his son follow after him, and this way the poor people will give up hope because the son is following after him. That can't be the understanding. Allah Amar Ravis, who Ravis says, we turn to Yudbeis Mebeis, page 12b, Asu, 
Zaycha. The sages establish that even though the son really should not acquire it, he does acquire it anyway. My time, what's the reason? All of the poor people would prefer it that way. Why? So that in order, if let's say they get hired, they want their sons to be able to follow after them and be able to collect as well. So since they could like that benefit, therefore they don't withhold that benefit from this person, this poor person who's working as a sharecropper for the homeowner here. And the statement of Shmuel that he explained that the reason that a miner, if a miner finds a lost object, goes to the father. So he said the reason is because a kid automatically goes to where his father is. So that explanation is actually an argument on Rabbi Chibar Abba. Because Rabbi Chibar Abba said that Rabbi Yechanan, like Gadol Gadol Mamish, but like Cotton Cotton Mamish. In the Mishnah, when we said that an adult child who finds something, it does not go to the father, and a minor who finds something, it does go to the father, so it doesn't mean literally an adult, and it doesn't mean literally a child. Even if you have someone who's an adult, but he's still financially dependent upon his father, so in this regard, he's still considered a minor. But if you have a minor, even though he's a minor, if he's financially independent of his father, he's considered an adult in this regard. And the explanation is that if someone is financially dependent on his father, so the sages instituted that if he finds a lost object, we don't want to create animosity between a father and his son. If a father supporting his kid, so whatever the kid finds, he should give it to his father. But if the father is not supporting the child, even if he's a minor, the object that's found will belong to the minor. The Gemara continues with a quote from the Mishnah. We said in the Mishnah that if a slave or a maidservant who's a Jew finds an object, an ownerless object, so they're allowed to keep it. It doesn't go to their master. The Gemara says, Amai, why is it? It shouldn't be any worse than a person who's working for a balabais, for a homeowner. That normally, or sometimes, so a person who's working, if he finds an ownerless object, he can keep it. What are we speaking about? when he hired him for a certain task. But if he said to him generally, I want you to work for me today. So whatever he produces that day, he has to give to the homeowner. So included in that is a lost object. So why is a slave any better? Why does a slave get to keep it? You know what we're talking about over here? We're talking about a slave who's involved in cutting diamonds. He's a very fine and skilled worker. His master would not be interested in him picking up something else, a lost object, an ownerless object. It's not worth anywhere near as much as what he's producing when he's cutting those diamonds. So therefore, whatever he finds, in fact, will belong to him. And in fact, what she says, so the slave is not going to have to pay back his master for the time that he wasted. Rava Amar Rava offers a different explanation. The reason that the slave is going to get this lost object, this ownerless object, is because at the same time that he's picking up the metzia, the lost object, at the same time he's still involved in his work, so his master's not losing anything. So therefore, the slave can keep this object that he's found. Rapapa Amar Rapapa gives a different explanation of why in the case of a pile of a worker does the object that he's found go to the person who's hired him. The reason that he was hired was to find objects that were ornless. was the case. That some fish had been washed ashore and therefore they were ownerless. So this person, the homeowner, hired this guy, the worker, to get all those fish that are ownerless. And therefore when we say that the mitzia, the ownerless object that's found by a worker, it goes to the person who's hired him, it's talking about where he specifically hired him to collect those ownerless objects. 
Now the Gemara says, Hi, Shifcha, Hechidami. What's the case of the maidservant? If she brought two hairs, meaning she has reached puberty already, my boy agabe. A woman who's a maidservant, she can only be a maidservant as long as she hasn't hit puberty. But as soon as she hits puberty, she goes out free. If she hasn't reached puberty yet, so if her father's still alive, so then the father gets the object that she's found. And if the father's not alive, so then she goes out free as soon as her father dies. The Amar Rish Lagish says, When you have a, a woman who's a maser and a Jew, as soon as her father dies, so she goes out free from her master. It's actually a logical derivation. And Rish Lagish's logical derivation was never disproven. So why don't we disprove Rish Lagish from what we're just saying over here? That we see over here that it's possible that she she could get an object. The only way that that's possible is if her father's not alive anymore. So here we see that her father could be dead and she could still be underneath the master. Nagmar says, no. Really, I'll tell you that the father is alive. And what do we mean when we say that it belongs to them? That's saying it doesn't go to the master. It doesn't mean that she actually gets it. Of course, the father is going to get it, but it doesn't go to her master. It goes to her and then directly to her father. Now the Gemara continues with a quote from the Mishnah. Metziah that we said in the Mishnah, that if a woman finds a lost object or an ownerless object that she's taking into her possession, so if she's married, it goes to her husband. But if she's not married, if she's divorced, so she gets to keep it. Girsha Pshita. The Gemara says, of course if she's divorced, she gets to keep it. So the Gemara says, and what's the case over here? We're talking about a case where she's divorced and she's not divorced, meaning there was some type of divorce that had been given to her, but nevertheless there was a doubt whether or not it took effect. Anywhere where the sages said that there's a doubt whether or not she's divorced, the husband still has an obligation to make sure she gets fed. So now, what was the reason why we said that if a woman finds a lost object or an ownerless object and takes it, it goes to her husband? So that there shouldn't be any animosity to the, from the husband to the wife because the husband is providing her with food and here she finds something and she doesn't give it to him. So in this case where he tried to divorce her, certainly he's giving her food still and she finds something, certainly there's going to be animosity that's created because she's keeping it. That's the Chiddush. The novelty is that despite that fact, since it's not clear even that she's considered married to this guy anymore, therefore she can keep this object that she's found. We begin the next Mishnah. If let's say somebody finds a document that says upon it that Ruven owes Shimon money. If it says on it that if Shimon doesn't pay, so he's going to give him a piece of land to, to replace the loan, so the person who found this document should not return it, because the courts will use this document to collect those pieces of land on behalf of Ruvain, and even if Shimon in the interim had sold those pieces of land. But if it doesn't say anything about Shimon paying back pieces of land, so then you can return that document, because the courts will not use it in order to collect pieces of land that were sold in the interim. These are the words of Rabbi Meir. Either way, don't return it, because in fact the courts will use it to collect. We begin the Gemara. What are we dealing with over here? If we're talking about a case where the person who owes the money admits that indeed this document is a real document, even if it has written into the document that the person who has lent the money has the ability to collect from a piece of land, why shouldn't you return it? The guy is admitting that he owes the money. And therefore, the person who is owed the money has every right to collect from a piece of land even if it was sold off in the interim. Because as long as when he lent the money, this 
piece of land belonged to the person who was borrowing the money, he has the right to collect from it. And if the case is talking about where the person who borrowed the money does not admit that he borrowed any money, even if it doesn't have anything written into the document that he can collect from a piece of property, why should he return it? Granted, he's not going to be able to collect from something that was sold in the interim. But he can't collect from any properties that he currently has right now. So therefore, you're going to make him lose out. The says, really the case is talking about where the person who borrowed money admits that this document is a real document. And here the reason is the we're afraid that perhaps the document was written that he was planning to lend to him in Nisan. And then, when did the loan actually take place? Six months later, in Tishrei. And we're afraid he's going to try to take pieces of property that he doesn't really have a right to. Meaning, any piece of property that was sold after the loan, only those pieces of property does he have a right to collect from. But a piece of property that was sold before the loan, but after the document was written, so that's going to be problematic. He's not going to be allowed to collect from those pieces of property. So we're afraid that that's what happened, and therefore, the person who found the document is not to return the document. Someone says, Ihachi, if that's the case, call Shtari come on. Anytime we have a document coming in front of us where someone's going to be collecting from someone else a piece of property that was encumbered, we should be worried that perhaps the document was written at an earlier time and the, and the loan only took place later. So the Gemara answers, call Shtari most documents do not have any strikes against them. Honey, right? But this document, since it was dropped, since it was found, so that shows already that this person wasn't so careful in it. If a person wasn't so careful in it, so maybe it's not such a proper document to begin with. That being the case, this document has a strike against it, and therefore we take into account the possibility that this document does not entitle the bearer to be able to take a piece of land that was sold in the interim. Now the Gemara challenges. If what we're saying is correct, we have a problem with the following Mishnah. It says like this, You're allowed to write a document stating that Reuven is lending Shimon money. Shimon is the borrower. So even if Reuven, the lender, is not there when they're writing the document, you're allowed to do that. It's not a problem at all. It's wonderful. So the Gemara says, hold on a second. How could we write this? We should be afraid that it was written in an earlier month. An actual loan didn't take place till much later. And therefore, what's going to happen? The person who lent the money, he's going to end up taking property away from people who had bought this property before the loan actually took place, which is not permitted. So how could we allow this document to be written without having the lova and the malva, both the person who's lending and the person who's borrowing? So the Gemara says, Amar Avasi, Ravasi says, until the top of Yugin Malamaral of page 13a, Bishtari Hakna. The case that we're talking about over here that it's permitted is where the person who's writing the document, the person who's borrowing the money is saying that from the moment that this document is written, any property, any possessions that I have will be encumbered to the loan that I borrow from so-and-so, no matter what it is, if, even if I don't borrow it now, even if I borrow it later. So in such a case, he's made everything that he owns encumbered. So even if he sells something before the loan actually takes place, it's still encumbered to the loan. Says, if that's the case, the mission that says that if it says anything about a piece of land on it that it's possible to collect from it, we don't return it. And we establish that the person who owes the money has admitted that this document is a real document. And the whole reason that we don't return it is because we're afraid that perhaps it was written in Nisan and the, the loan didn't actually take place till much later. We're afraid that the person who lent the money is going to end up taking pieces of property unlawfully. 
Why don't we return it? Why don't we just see? If it's a document that's written into it, that the person who's borrowing the money is allowing all of his property from the moment the document is written to be encumbered to his loan, even if it's done later, so then he's already made everything encumbered. So therefore we should return it. And if it's a document that we don't see that it was encumbered from the moment of the loan, so we shouldn't be worried. Because you just said, that if the Malva, the person who's lending the money, is not there with him, we wouldn't write it. So therefore there's no reason for us to assume that the document was written earlier, but the loan actually took place later. So Ravasi responds as follows, Even though that an ordinary document that doesn't have anything written into it about immediately encumbering all of his properties, so we wouldn't write such a document without the mouth, without the person who's lending the money there along with the person who's borrowing the money. But in our Mishnah, the reason that we're afraid of this, since it fell, it really. So then there's something that's a strike against it, like we said before, and we're afraid that perhaps something happened and for some reason, such a document was written, even though it's not something that usually happens.